Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Rico Arena to my Coventry City. It's Justin Peach. Good afternoon, Ryan. Justin, how do you do? I'm very good. I'm a bit more like the Highfield Road, I think, compared to your Rico. I'm the classic. Okay, suit yourself then. (laughs) With us on the show today is Matt Shaw from the Huddersfield Podcast and he takes that chance. Matt, are you well? I'm good, mate. Thanks. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. Also, here is Alex Everson from the Reading Podcast, Elm Park Royals. Alex, you all right? I'm not too bad, thank you, Ryan. Thanks for having me back. No problem. You are listening to the biggest championship-specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're going to run through all the games in the championship from the past weekend and have a chat through some of the news and, of course, finish off with Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight right at the end. Let's start off by talking about the relegation battle. Huddersfield winning 1-0 away at QPR. And in the grand scheme of things, Matt, this is a massive win, isn't it? It's massive, mate. Yeah, when you look at our run to come, uh, we've got, uh, we had QPR on Saturday and Sheffield Wednesday midweek. And then you start to look after that and you think, especially if we hadn't won that game, we'd have been going into that having won one game in 2021. And you start to look at some of the fixtures coming up and you just kind of wince a little bit as a Huddersfield fan. And you think mm, it, it, things might get a little tight here. So, uh, yeah, so it was a, a massive win. Quite ironic how it was achieved as well, because uh, Carlos Corbrand's been struggling a little bit uh, since December, really, tactically. Um We've had around eight or nine players injured consistently since uh, since December. So it's a long, long, long time to go without players like Josh Caroma, Chris Schindler, Carol Lighting, you know, big players for us. And um, he's he's recently had a little bit of a tweak tactically. He's thrown out his uh, Carlos Corba ball, if you like, if you <laughs> want to call it. Uh, and he's brought in a very Danny Cowley style, pragmatic, um, sit deep and uh, pick teams off uh, on the break approach. And... Um, three games unbeaten so far with uh, with this new setup. I think that tactic, Matt, is called shithousing and it's going very <laughs> well at the moment. Uh, Janino Bakuna got the goal, a lovely finish from just outside the box. Every Huddersfield fan tells us the same thing about him. A fantastically talented player, but that talent is equally matched by how frustrating a player he can be. I don't know how you describe Janino. In fact, I do know how you describe Janino Bakuna, but I couldn't say it on this podcast. Uh, I said it to uh, the examiner writer, Stephen Chicken, yesterday, and he agreed with me, but it's probably not fit for uh, consumption. But it's 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 a good in a good way, <laughs> if you like. But he's, he's a bit of an enigma rolled into a, a mysterious figure, if you like. Uh, he's He kind of does what he wants, if you know what I mean. It'll, it'll roll up, and if he fancies playing, he'll, he'll play. If he doesn't, he doesn't. Um, he's uh, incredibly frustrating, but... Also incredibly talented. There was some interest from Rangers in the summer uh, for him, uh, just gone. And part of me thinks that he'll never really realise his his full potential at somewhere like Huddersfield. Uh, and maybe he needs to go somewhere like that who'll just grab him by his bootstraps and and, and make him sort of aware that slacking, uh, slacker, not backer, as sometimes you know he gets called, uh, that you know having a daydream for eighty five minutes isn't isn't going to cut it. And um, if somebody really gets hold of him, there's a there's a very very talented player there it's just um whether it arrives at Huddersfield yeah let's talk about the relegation battle do you fancy yourselves to stay up now you were going through a terrible run of form but you seem to have turned the corner now yeah yeah uh we're, we're still on the periphery I, I wouldn't just because we've won a game against QPR I wouldn't necessarily say we're we're, we're home and host or anything I, I think 48 points is my conservative guess really that we would probably need so um, we've got some big players coming back in April as well, hopefully. So um, things are starting to head in the right direction for us. But I, 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 having been on the end of one of the most unlikely relegations in championship history in 2001 with Huddersfield, um, I would never count out the potential for, for going down. So it's just, it's just ingrained into us. So until I'm mathematically safe, then uh, we'll always be aware. Yeah, well, we'll go into more detail about the relegation battle in just a bit. Uh, for QPR, Justin, this is a bit of a shock result, really, isn't it? Because they were playing quite well, weren't they? They were. They had a bit of form coming into the game. It almost feels like they don't want to be a top-half team. Anything they do, they'll build up a bit of momentum and then and then bang, they're, they're sucked back into the bottom half. Um, I think Schofield's save, Ryan Schofield's game, save um, from Todd Kane at 0-0 was, was massive as well. That could have been a bit of a turning point in the game. It could have given QPR the momentum they, they perhaps needed. But considering that the balance of the game, Huddersfield definitely deserved this win. 
Yeah, definitely. Reading could only draw one all away at Nottingham Forest, but there's a five-point gap keeping them in the top six as it stands. More on that in a sec. But Alex, how was the game? Yeah, really kind of um, very different to the recent games that we've had where we've defended very well um, and not really created chances, but still won. Yesterday was just the complete opposite to that. We created a lot of chances. I think we had 23 or 24 shots in total um, by full time, but we just couldn't put anything away. Um, Forest were not bad, uh, but once once they'd taken the lead, they were very, very content to sit back. And you can see why they've got such a low goal total this season. Um, they were quite quite good going forwards, but they really weren't particularly adventurous once they'd, once they'd taken the lead. But overall, it wasn't a bad performance. And given the results yesterday, I can't really see it as a terrible point um, overall. Yeah, we'll talk more, more about the uh, playoff race as a whole in just a sec. Uh, my highlight of the game was the ball being given to Lucas Shower in the box, who scuffs his shot, and then when trying to get it back, he runs into the post, which was fantastic. Justin, you said it gave you a mix of emotions there. Yeah, there was there was humour, there was despair, there was anticipation. It was just a, a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic. Possibly my highlight of the season so far. Yaku Meiti got the equaliser after some questionable goalkeeping from Brees Samba. This was his first game in a month and only his third in the last three months because of a groin injury. If he's back fully fit, Alex, how important a player could he be for Reading for the remainder of the season? Oh, he's huge. Um, I mean, he's only played 15 games this season, but he's scored seven goals now. Um, and just having him in the team means that we're able to play uh, play a 4-2-3-1 uh, with him coming off the right-hand side. And it just gives Zhao so much more opportunity and space and not have to worry so much about being crowded out of the game. Having him there as well obviously means that you've got the opportunity for him to then be able to go on and, and find that space. And he's a driver of the ball as well. He's he's having to make the run, make the move forwards. And yeah, if he's going to be fit for the rest of the season, I think it's just going to be absolutely massive for us. Yeah, definitely. Let's talk about the playoff race as a whole then. With games elsewhere going your way, then I suppose in hindsight, a draw is not a bad result, as you say. With that five-point gap, are you feeling confident of finishing in the top six now? I think... So currently, I mean, the, the late, late goal uh, yesterday really went in our favour, I think. Um, and I think five points is, is probably enough of a gap that I'm starting to think that we we should make it now. It's, I think it would, it beginning to, it would be beginning to look like a bit of a collapse if we didn't make it. Um, we've got some big games coming up, but I think given the midweek fixtures um, and how they're looking and the fixtures next weekend before the international break, we've definitely got the more favourable next two games compared to the teams in and around us. And if we can put four or six points on the board in those next two games, then it's going to be very difficult for, for the teams outside the playoffs to, um, to catch us, I think. Quick word on Forrest, Justin. Four games without a win. They've still got work to do to guarantee safety, haven't they? They do. Own goals is their top goal scorer or joint top goal scorer now with Lyle Taylor, which tells you all you need to know. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. Strikers aren't putting chances. They're actually sixth in the table when it comes to shots per game. So they're having plenty of shots. I mean, some of it might be Sammy Amiobi taking from 30 yards out every now and then. But the strikers just haven't been good enough and the wide players haven't been chipping in either. No. Alex and Matt, thank you for now. We'll come back to you both a bit later on to play Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. But right now, me and Justin are going to take you, listener, on a trip around the grounds. Let's carry on talking about the playoff race, shall we? Bournemouth v Barnsley. That's a big game. Sixth versus seventh, and Barnsley came out on top, winning 3-2, meaning Bournemouth are now five points off the top six. Steve Jenkins is from the Bournemouth website, the South End. Steve, what's your reaction to this result? Very, very, very disappointing. Managed to get into a lead with some good Football, forward-thinking football, quick quick and fast. You know, got a goal just before half-time, thought perfect, here we go. Going to go on, come back out. Obviously, Barnsley had a plan. Their plan worked beautifully. Ours just looked like, oh, well, we'll just got to sit here and it'll be okay. And it just went, got worse and worse and worse. And <laughs> I'm not a very happy man. Yeah, Steve, recently we've spoken a lot about Jonathan Mudgate and we've not been particularly impressed since um, he's taken charge at Bournemouth. What have you made of how he's done so far? Uh, I think Woodgate's doing a reasonably good job. He's, you know, he's coming at a really difficult time. He's been thrown in at the deep end. You know, he's, he's got a squad that he, um, 
he's inherited and a decent squad as well and you know but he can't see you know and he's had time to work on formations you know in general play but he's struggling to get the team to do what he wants you can tell by his interviews you know he knows what's going wrong and why the team aren't doing it so he needs to be able to motivate and if we can't do that then we're going to be in trouble well you say you're going to be in trouble what do you make of the playoff race do you still fancy your chances of finishing top six Making the playoffs now, I think it's going to be really, really difficult. We've got some tough games coming up, you know, and we're already, what's it, five points behind uh, Barnsley for the last playoff pace. But the, what, some of the good thing is that we have got to play some of the teams above us. But I still think, realistically, we're probably going to struggle to make the playoffs. You know, what we what I've seen so far, you don't think that we're suddenly just going to go on a run and be brilliant. It might all click into gear in the next game and we'll be brilliant, but uh, I don't hold out too much hope. And I reckon seventh is probably where we're going to finish. Thank you, Steve. On Twitter, Andrew called it a team performance. Lee said it was relentless. This is Barnsley, by the way. Uh, Disappointment for Bournemouth, but for Barnsley, this is a real statement win, isn't it, Justin? It is. The performance, uh, the result, it was a massive test. They went 1-0 up as well, went 2-1 down at half-time. They came back. It showed that they've got big cojones because to come to come back um, against a team like Bournemouth, who are very good, to come back um, in that in that in the way they did, it's it's nothing but positives for uh, for Barnsley. I think it's a statement as well in the way that we've been singing Barnsley's praises for a while now, and listeners to the show will know that Barnsley are actually a very good side because of what we've been saying. But if you're a Premier League fan and you glance at the Championship every so often, you'll have probably seen Barnsley and Bournemouth battling it out for the playoffs and assumed Bournemouth would get there because they've been in the Prem recently and they've still got a very good squad. But for those people, this result shows that Barnsley really do mean business. And we're at a point now where we're asking could they even go a step further than the playoffs? I think it's fair to ask. I, I really do. The banging form, I feel like teams have to adapt to how they play because Bournemouth didn't do it. Um, Derby and Birmingham City did. And obviously Derby got a result. Birmingham City kept it quite quite tight. Um, but if you, you have to adapt to how they play. And if you have to adapt to how another team plays... And and you don't you're going to struggle. So I feel like Barnsley have got the upper hand on a lot of teams, and it's it's worth it's worth certainly asking the question: Can they go to the automatics as well? They've also got the upper hands in their remaining fixtures. They haven't got too many games that you look at and you go, "Well, that's quite difficult for the rest of the season." Um, where do Bournemouth go from here, Justin? Well, <laughs> um, I think the issue is they 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 can't defend. They carve teams open quite often. Um, we saw with Preston last weekend, they were very, very wasteful. They only picked up a draw. Same in, in parts here, but the, defensively, they, they were quite poor. They've only kept three clean sheets under Woodgate. Um, and the goals they are conceding, they are they are poor. They're losing concentration, it's a mix of poor marking, losing the ball in midfield. That, that was basically Barnsley's three goals um, that they scored. They were they, If you come up against a team that are very organised defensively and know exactly what they're doing, what their roles are, I don't think Barnsley scored three goals. Unfortunately, Bournemouth didn't do the prep. So where did Bournemouth go from here? Tighten up at the back? I think so. I think, I mean, look, if you tighten up at the back, you're going to pick up results. You pick up results, you gain a bit of momentum. We've seen it with Reading. It's worked for them. And it's worked for other teams as well. You start keeping clean sheets, you go from there. Yeah. They've got Swansea midweek. Obviously a tough game, but Barnsley have got Wickham and Reading have got Birmingham games which you'd expect those two to win so for Bournemouth that Swansea game is a must win otherwise they could be quite a way behind um, come this time next week a 94th minute free kick from Adam Messina gave Watford a massive 2-1 win away at Cardiff it means they're still sat second in the table Mike Duffy is from the Watford podcast Voices of the Vic Mike what an end to the game what an end and I I was just like you know any minute of stoppage time like that Watford have to play in is usually like a very, very nervous watch. It was 1-1. I was just praying and hoping that we didn't concede because Watford liked to do that. Uh, and yeah, scored our first free kick in over 1,778 days. April 2016, Amin against Aston Villa was the last direct free kick we scored. So I'm still sort of pinching myself a bit now. Just And I've watched the free kick back like a million times Dylan Phillips should have saved it, but we'll take it. Uh, but 
I'm just like, yeah, that is a massive, massive result because of the games that went on earlier. Obviously, Brentford beating Blackburn on Friday and then Swansea beating you-know-who on, on Sunday, uh, Saturday lunchtime. So, massive, massive three points in the bag for us. Yeah, what did you make of the game itself, Mike? It was quite a tight one, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. We we knew what to expect with uh, Mick McCarthy side and, and Cardiff in general. I mean, the you look at the two individually and you know what to expect put the two together and you know it's going to be a tough test which he was you know we, we we perhaps dominated possession but it's about putting the ball in the back of the net you can dominate possession all you want but if you don't use it to good effects then it's it's worthless basically uh, and thank god we did use it to good effect in the ends uh, but yeah stern test you can see why they've gone 11 games unbeaten um you know mick mccarthy's got them set up brilliantly there i know you guys love him on the pod and He's a, he's a great bloke to, to watch in interviews. And he, uh, they, they'll do well there. They, they'll, they'll bounce back from this. They really will. But, yeah, uh, always a tough place going to Cardiff, no, no matter who's in charge. They've, they've always been... They're a big physical side. Yeah, let's talk about automatic promotion because it is very, very tight around the second-place spot, isn't it? Are you confident of going up this season? And if so, why? <laughs> confident and Watford is something I never put in the, uh, the same sentence usually. Um, it is going to be tight you look at our running compared to Brentford and Swansea's and ours is considerably much more tough but I suppose we sort of mentioned it on our podcast today we've still got to play Brentford and Swansea we've still got to play Norwich as well so we've got Brentford away Norwich away and Swansea at home so if we can beat Brentford and Swansea, Norwich, listen, Norwich, is, as far as I'm aware, they've won the league. No one's catching them. Um, but if we can beat Brentford and Swansea, then two right, we deserve to go up and two right, we'll finish second. We've got three big games coming up against 21st, 22nd and 23rd. Rotherham, Birmingham, Sheffield Wednesday in that order uh, that we've got them. So nine points are needed there. Um, anything less is a failure. So I... To answer your question, in long terms, yes, I think we'll do it. And we've got a brilliant squad. Cheers, Mike. Yeah, there's a lot to get through in this game, Justin, so we'll dive right in. Firstly, Nathaniel Chalaber's footwork for the first Watford goal. Just amazing. He made the defender look silly and then the finish afterwards. He's only scored two goals in six years. It was like, if Messi did that, you'd be going, wow. Yeah, let alone a a, a deep-lying defensive playmaker yeah. I never I never knew he had that in his locker where has that been this whole time it was incredible I've, yeah, unbelievable yeah and he's he scored some amazing goals in his yes. career like that Leicester goal yeah yeah before we're talking a good few years ago now but that was one of the best goals the championship's ever seen and they scored this as well so he is capable of it I think Watford as a whole from the midfield, they need to have more goals from those players, don't they? But that's another debate for another day. Let's talk about the actual game because the key moment is the free kick right at the end. Adam Messina has scored it. But what on earth is Dylan Phillips doing in goal for Cardiff? It is bizarre. I feel like if you're not a, if you're not a goalkeeper and you play against your mates and you don't want to be in goal anymore, you're letting a goal on purpose just to get the other person in. That's what it looked like. He dived. It felt like he dived out of the way of it because it was literally down his throat. Yeah, he could I mean, have let it hit him. Yeah, I've watched it ten times, and I can't work out for the life of me what he's trying to do. He could have just stood there and let it hit him, but instead he's moved out of the way. It's so weird, and I, I can't offer any further explanation on it. It's just only he can tell us. What on earth he was trying to do? Uh, but the best bit of the game was the final whistle when Francisco Serralta celebrates in Aidan Flint's face and he suddenly realises he's celebrating in front of the biggest bloke on the pitch and he, <laughs> he <laughs> legs it down the tunnel. It was fantastic. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, this is a gigantic result for both sides, isn't it, Justin? From a Cardiff perspective, what damage has this done to their playoff hopes? Um, I, f- I think a, a, th- a fair bit of damage... Mainly because of Barnsley momentum, um, but I think that perhaps one of these results have been coming for Cardiff because perhaps performances have started to sort of teeter a little bit. But um, I, can't, you know, I can't help but think sac- sacrificing as much ball as they do in games against better sides might be the downfall a bit. So I think this game will prove to be a a bit more of a learning you know, situation for, for Mick McCarthy than it being a big negative. Because let's be honest. Dylan Phillips saves that. They pick up a draw. They can go again in midweek. But in terms of going for the playoffs, they've lost. The gap's widened. It is damaging. 
Mm. This is first loss under Big Mick at Cardiff, so it just shows what an amazing job he's done. But they are seven points off the top six now with 10 games left. They're still well in it, but they're outsiders now, aren't they? They've got a tricky couple of games this week in Stoke and Swansea. I think we can only really assess them after those two games, whether they've still got a decent chance of getting in the playoffs. For Watford, they're still keeping pace with Brentford and Swansea, despite them each having a game in hand. Do you want to know Watford's next three games, Justin? Lay it on me. Rotherham, Birmingham and Wednesday. Very inviting. So after those three games, you'd expect them to still be very much up there. Do you want to know their last two games of the season? Go again. Lay it on me. Brentford and Swansea. Wow. Please tell me the season comes down to the last day because that will be so, so good. Uh, sticking with the race for second, Justin, an Ivan Tony penalty gave Brentford a 1-0 win over Blackburn on Friday night. But from a Blackburn perspective, the game was overshadowed by an injury to Bradley Deck, who looks like he'll be out for a, a while again. More on that in a sec. Ryan Hildred is from Rovers Chat. Ryan, what did you make of the game? Yeah, it was a really frustrating game. Um, it was another one of those where a side goes 1-0 up against Rovers and, um, you know, we huffed and puffed a little bit in the second half, but, you know, ultimately didn't create many big chances, didn't really test David Raya in goal, etc, etc. And just felt like Brentford really had us at arm's length uh, for the whole game, really. Um, never a penalty in my eyes, um, but obviously Brentford then take the lead after 10 minutes and... And that's the, the pattern of the game. And it just always felt like that they had another gear or a counter-attack or just something in their locker. Tony and Mbwemo were, were looking great and just felt like that even had Rovers equalised and made that game one all, then it would have been, you know, they would have gone up and, and scored again and, and won the game 2-1. So, yeah, just desperately um, disappointing in the context of the whole night. And, you know, just shows really, you know, quite how far off promotion contention Rovers really are at the moment. And that disappointment was compounded by another injury to Bradley Dak, who looks like he's going to be out for a long, long time. It's just dreadful news, isn't it? It's absolutely shocking. And um, we've been doing watch-alongs on the Rovers chat um, site this year. And uh, those final five minutes of stoppage time, it was just an, an awful experience, really. Um, you know, virtually connected to all those Rovers fans feeling the same as well. Um, you know, when you're just seeing a guy that has worked so hard over the last 13 months and who loves football as much as he does, and he's the centre of the club um, and, and what drives us. And, you know, if we do lose Armstrong next season, you know, we were looking at Bradley Dack to be the talisman again with a good pre-season under his belt. And, you know, to do one ACL in your career is, you know, dreadful in itself. But to then do the other knee, um, although the news isn't confirmed, Jay, it sounds like that's going to be it. It's just... It's absolutely devastating and I think it's it's possibly one of the most emotional uh, experiences I've had as a Rovers fan just to see, you know, another human being and, and another player go through that again after working so, so hard and after only having 10 weeks back. So just really, really devastating news for the whole club and, and of course, the player himself. Cheers, Ryan. Yeah, Bradley Dax injury, Justin. Desperately sad for the player and also for Blackburn. Yeah, you have to be. It's it's cruel watching good players get injured. We've seen it with Christian Bielik at Derby, Lewis Cook this week as well with Bournemouth. It's 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 horrible. It's horrible because these these are very talented players and they can really kick on. But Bradley Dax probably getting to an age in his career where that next step needs to be made very very soon. And this this long layoff, this potential long layoff, he's going to be facing again is going to is going to delay that. So it's a shame we're not going to be able to see him. Because he looked like he's just starting to come into form as well. It's, yeah. it's, it is disappointing. And, and then for Blackburn as well, again, it is, it is tough. Yeah, terribly cruel as well that he's managed to do his ACL in one knee. And then after coming back after so long out, he's managed to do it in his other knee. That is just ridiculously bad luck. I mean, how, how does that even happen? Uh, Denim John on Twitter called it an important win for Brentford. Joe called it edgy. Brentford were good, weren't they? By no means sensational, but good. That's what you need to be. You you just need to tick along. I think Brentford Brentford for a long time have gone under the radar this season, but I think one of the key differences in this game was Christian Norgard being back in midfield. He's a, he's a different class for them when he's fit, firing and in form. Um, I think a good example is him winning the ball back in the middle. 
uh, sawing the ball through to Fosu and then Fosu gets fouled for the penalty. It was very, very good play and that's what he can bring. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how, how Thomas Franks finds a balance between him and Yanel. You know how they say great minds think alike? Ooh. That's the exact same player I, I, I highlighted, Justin. This is his first start since September. And my word, what a player is. You forget how good he is when he's been out for so long. He's not someone who steals the headlines, is he? But as a manager, if you want someone who can control the midfields, then there aren't many better at him than this at this level. His return could be massive for Brentford. And I think recently they've lost most of their midfield battles, the ones that you'd expect them to win. But Christian Norgard, I think he changes that. It's almost like having a new signing for the final 10 games of the season. So he was really good. Ivan Tony, I thought, led the line really well as well. This is further proof that he's not just this goal poacher that so many other championship fans seem to think he is. <laughs> Brentford, three points behind Watford with a game in hand on the Hornets. We'll talk about the other teams fighting for the top two a bit later on, but back to the playoff race, Justin. Middlesbrough, three, Stoke, nil. Borough's slim hopes of finishing in the top six still alive, but for Stoke, any hopes that they had of a playoff spot have now been extinguished. Ben Rowley's from the Stoke podcast, the YYY Files, and Stoke had some good chances in this game, didn't they, Ben? Yeah, they did. And I said this on Twitter yesterday, the fact that this has been Stoke's story of potentially the last five years, the fact that we seem to have so many chances and we've not really got someone to tuck them away. And then someone rushes down the other end, they have three shots on target and they score three goals. I'm not saying that Borough didn't deserve the win, they absolutely did. Um, we just weren't good enough across a number of departments in this team. And this is why we're not going to be making the playoffs. We can perform well against teams like Wickham, I think, and we can produce a good defensive performance and cause a shock to one of the big boys at times. But to be honest, we've not dominated a game for months, probably since Tyrese Campbell's been out. And this is the thing, we simply don't have the personnel now to break into that top six spot. Yeah, unfortunately, I think you're correct. And that ultimately means Stoke's season is pretty much over now. So what would you say is Michael O'Neill's aim for the rest of the season? Well, I mean, many would say that he's got to prepare for next season and that you would do that by playing the kids and not playing anyone that's on loan. The trouble with that is I don't think he will plan for next season. I mean, he's already in talks to sign Johnny McCall and James Chester on new deals. He's already extended Angus Gunn's loan until the end of next season. And I'm beginning to think that it, it's going to be a longer term project, maybe due to financial fair play. But he was talking about if Stoke were a Formula One car, he's not taken them past 30 miles an hour yet. And perhaps that's in terms of the performances, but I think that's probably more in terms of the finances and the fact that our parachute payments are going to be running out soon. Um, there's no player over the age of 24, I think, that contract runs past 2022. I think that next season, unless we cause a surprise with people coming back from injury and signing a couple of decent players, uh, next season could be right off as well. And to be honest, we're going to have to settle in at Stoke for a decent spell in the championship. It's interesting you say that because I've seen a few Stoke fans who haven't been particularly happy with Michael O'Neill recently. Do you think he's the man to take the club forward? There is a sweet spot, I believe, between people thinking that Michael O'Neill is not the god of the potteries and that they should not want him sacked either. And I think that that's where Stoke fans level-headed should be at the moment, if I'm honest. Um, don't be wrong, I think his biggest mistake is relying on people that are in quotes, experienced and Premier League experienced. I'm pointing at people like Alan and Mikel, whose midfield is currently being well overrun. Well, then this is a mistake that managers, perhaps the last four or five, six managers have relied on in the past, relying on certain players. So I don't think that that issue is going to go away. I think O'Neill's done very well to turn us around, you know, from nearly being relegated last season to, you know, even having a conversation about the playoffs is remarkable really and I think he is also right to some extent that he's not taken he's not had the opportunity to take Stoke where he wants to be yet he's not without his flaws Michael O'Neill and they are coming to the fore this season but yeah I believe that the project should be his to turn Stoke around and get us back to the Premier League Thank you Ben yeah very interesting what he was saying there but focusing on this season Justin it's amazing how quickly Stoke's playoff push has fizzled out <laughs> Yes, yeah. I mean, the the amount of games they've won over the last sort of three months, I mean, supports that. It's it's not been 
consistently enough over a long period of time compared to other teams. You look at Barnsley, they've been doing the business. Cardiff recently have as well. And one thing, as I say, Stoke have not managed to do since November time is build consistency, and that's that's something that's definitely let them down. Yeah, they've won draw, they've won twelve, drawn twelve, lost twelve, and I think that just about sums up Stoke this season. Very much a mid-table side, unfortunately, wasn't looking like that earlier in the season, but they are not the same side that we saw at the start of the campaign, are they? No. Uh, go back to the game though, Justin. This is what happens when Middlesbrough actually take their chances. So often this season, we've seen them create loads and not put them away. Here, they score from three shots on target. <laughs> so, if uh, I can't imagine being a Borough fan in this situation and how how mad it would drive you because had this sort of form been prevalent throughout the season, they'd be much closer to the playoffs, perhaps even the automatics because putting chances away has been the real issue. But I think the tactical switch and putting McNair into midfield certainly helped Borough in them uh, having a bit more penetration going forwards. They've still got very slim hopes of finishing in the top six, haven't they? How slim yeah. are they? Very slim. We're talking, uh, I don't know, what's. Well, I can't, I'm trying to think of something very slim, uh, like a ruler. A slim sausage as a ruler. Sausage dog. Well, you could get fat sausage dogs. Yeah, but I mean, in comparison to their height, I suppose. I, guess, I don't know what I don't know what we're comparing <laughs> the width to, to be quite honest. But uh, uh, nonetheless, I get your point. And um, if they're going to do it, then they've got to be as clinical as they were here, uh, haven't they? And the thing is, they've also got to be better defensively than they've been for the past few months. Remember at the start of the campaign when we were losing our minds at how good Middlesbrough were at the back? Well, they've only kept three clean sheets since mid-December. <laughs> which, if you if you told us that. After the first couple of months of the season, you we'd just slap you around the face and just call you a liar. Um, <laughs> obviously, they're not taking chances. That hasn't helped them this season. But if they weren't conceding, then at least they'd be grinding out more results, wouldn't they? Yeah, exactly. That's that's the key thing. And, and it's really annoying because I, I say this word a lot, but it's down to consistency. It's defensive consistency. It's you know being consistent in taking chances. That is the key to... Being a playoff side, that is the key to being promoted from the championship, is just being consistent. Um, it's very difficult for teams. Borough have had a lot of injuries, but it's no excuse to at least not be picking up clean sheets and you know reducing teams to tiny, tiny chances. Yeah, you spawn. And I think that's been the issue for not just Middlesbrough, pretty much every team who's in mid-table this season. Yeah. Everyone's just lacked consistency. Justin, let's have a break. After that, we'll talk about the relegation battle. I tell you what, there's nothing I love more than a classic football shirt. I've got loads of them. A Juventus shirt, Marseille shirt, even an Antalya Sport shirt. One of the reasons I've got so many is because I can get them for a great price from ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk. They've got shirts for teams from all over the globe, and that of course includes championship clubs. So if you wanted a classic Wednesday shirt, Reading shirt or Barnsley shirt, whoever you support, they'll have something for your club. It's not just shirts either, they've also got tracksuits, baseball caps, socks, so much stuff. Have a look for yourself. Go to classicfootballshirts.co.uk right now. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. In Thursday's episode, Justin, we called Birmingham's game against Bristol City a must-win. So they duly lost 3-0. What more can we say? <laughs> well, there's not much else that can be said. They were they weren't too bad. They, they started actually quite well. Um, mm. You look at Scott Hogan hit the post. I think Jeremy Beeler was tearing. I, can't, I don't know who the right back was. It would have been Jack Hunt tearing him apart for the first sort of you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes, and then Bristol City score, and it just seems to drop. It dropped so quick, and it it's typical of Birmingham City. Yeah, well, they actually hit the post twice, um, but ultimately they were second best in the grand scheme of the game to a very unremarkable Bristol Seaside. And they're now really staring down the battle when it comes to relegation, aren't they? They're just three points ahead of Rotherham, who are four games in hand. And Birmingham's next four games are against four of the top five. <laughs> so it's looking more and more difficult for Birmingham to have any chance of staying up. It is. And I think... Again, the key thing is defensively, I feel like majority of the goals this season, you can play the Benny Hill music to it. <laughs> it is 
a joke. Um, and I mean, Wickham, you can say, I mean, teams that concede a lot of goals, you can say that, but genuinely, a lot of goals Birmingham City concede this season are down to their own doing. It's as simple as that. And they don't score enough, but Christ, they're probably the worst defensive team in the division. They don't score many and they concede a lot of goals, which in my experience of football is not a good mix. Um, we have had reports at the time of recording, this is unconfirmed, but there are very strong reports that Aita Karanka has been sacked. We'll talk about that in the news in just a bit, Justin. Um, but focusing on Birmingham City themselves, they do deserve to go down based on what we've seen so far this season, haven't we, on the 36 games that we've had so far. They've been one of the three worst teams in the division. And I know that's a pretty obvious statement to make when they are <laughs> where they are in the table. But the performances have matched where they are in the table. They are really, really bad. Their only hope of staying up is rather than being too exhausted to play all of their remaining games. But I feel like that's a rather damning statement in itself because this is a club who were in the Premier League and won the League Cup 10 years ago. And they're now relying on a team who were in League 2 three years ago. They're relying on them ballsing up their games in hand that they've got left. It's it's a really sorry state of affairs, isn't it? Quick word on Bristol City. Nigel Pearson will be happy with the performance, won't he? He would. It was a complete almost switch around. I think Casey Palmer des- deserves a lot of credit here. His desire for the first goal, he robs Raheem Harper of the ball, drives forward and puts away a tidy finish. He was brilliant. His assist was delicious for Odada as well. It, w- it really was a perfect number 10's performance. And I think if he performs consistently like that, then Bristol City have a, an answer to a lot of their problems in the final third. It's just unlocking it on a regular basis. Um, but I'm certain he's in a position where he, he, he needs to... Well, I'm certain he's in a position where he can kick on. Um, and it's worth pointing out that um, Semenya has now scored two league goals this season where the keeper has kicked it against him, which is incredible. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, the thing is as well, before the first goal he scored... Um, he'd gone like 45 games without yeah. scoring and I think it was the longest run of any championship striker who was active in the uh, in the championship and the fact he's now got two <laughs> from goalkeeper mistakes is, is yeah fair play uh, on Twitter Noobs said it was a reassuring performance for Bristol City Will said it was stupendous Calamo Dowder played his first game since December and got on the score sheet so good news there as well Derby are without a win in five after losing 1-0 to Millwall a bit of a shit housing from Gary Rowett here, wasn't it? Gary Rowett is low key one of the best shit houses I think in the history of the championship because what he's done and the budgets he's had is it needs to get recognition. Absolutely does. Why is it low key? I've, I've always thought of him as quite a prominent shit house manager. I don't know. You just you automatically go to the likes of Neil Warnock, um, potentially Mick McCarthy at times. Uh, you probably are right, but I just think he doesn't get the credit he deserves. Like, at no point was I surprised with Millwall's performance. You know, they 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 drop deep, they defend deep, they're organised, and they will just do what they can to grab a result. And if they get anything more, they'll be very happy. And that's sort of the definition of a shit house. Yeah, Derby had thirteen shots to Millwall's two. Having said that, I don't really remember Derby having a great chance, like that one golden chance for them to actually score. Um, James on Twitter called the performance blunt. Wayne Rooney said after the game, Derby will stay up this season. They're seven points above the bottom three, but of course Rotherham have games in hand. What do you think? I I disagree with the, I wouldn't say arrogance to the comment, but I disagree with the certainty of it. And the reason why I do is because... Um, I feel like Rooney doesn't know his best team. They're a team that don't create enough chances, um, which for me is why it's going into the last games for Derby in terms of staying up. In fact, I saw a stat this morning on Twitter saying that this Derby side has scored less goals from open play than the goal, uh, than the Derby side who got relegated from the Premier League in 2007-2008. That was a bad that, team. That was the, the worst team in the Premier League. Um and this is probably the worst Derby team I've seen in my lifetime. And they have a manager at the helm who is a rookie, is making a lot of mistakes of late. Um, it's it's far too often we're seeing him change the team. And he's made some comments in, in yesterday's post-match presser, which were pretty bizarre. So, yeah, I'm not as, as convinced as him. He's perhaps feeling the pressure a bit. And as you say, he is a rookie manager. And this is a tricky position for a rookie manager to be in in his first season. I think the issue with Derby as well is they've only had... Off the top of my head, four players I think who have had who you could say have had good seasons. Yeah, maybe maybe even three. Um, the rest of the players, 
you can't really say have had particularly good seasons. I, every time I watch Derby, I look at Kamil Joswiak and I just cannot see how anyone can justify that man costing four or five million pounds. The worst thing is he called out Lou Sibley in the post-match press and said he didn't do enough. When you've got the likes of Martin Waghorn, Kamil Joswiak, as you say, who haven't done anything either. You call them out first before you call on a young lad who has had 20 minutes um, to play out of position to do something. It's not fair. Yeah, it's a fair point. I've watched a few Derby games this season and obviously we haven't got fans in so you can hear what players are saying. Every so often with Derby games, you can just hear someone randomly screaming. And initially I thought it was a bird, but apparently it's actually Colin Kazan Richards calling for the ball. Yeah, And it's, it's such an odd noise to make. And once you've heard it, it kind of just repeats in your head for the rest of the day. It's, it, if, if anyone does have the pleasure of watching a derby game for the rest of the season, just keep, a, <laughs> keep an ear out for that. It's uh, interesting. There was nearly a shock on Sunday when Norwich and Sheffield Wednesday met. Wednesday were leading in the first half and were the better side before Norwich came back in the second half and won 2-1. What did you make of the game, Justin? It was, yeah, well, yeah, as you say, Wednesday were the better side in the first half. They go one and look quite early. If they get that second goal, I think it's one they can kill off. But one of the issues that they've had is they are defensively uh, vulnerable at times. We saw with the Luton game, they gave away a two-goal lead. So they Norwich have always got an opportunity to get back into it. But I think it's certainly a massive positive for Wednesday for getting as, as close as to a result as they can. Yeah, I'd say there are definitely signs of encouragement for Darren Moore, aren't they? And based on this performance, they're not dead and buried just yet, even though the table's not looking favourable and they have lost seven games in a row now. Um, he has got um, experience of having of getting teams who look like they're dead and buried and making them play better, like with West Brom when they're in the Premier League uh, a few seasons ago now. So he's got to do that again. And based on this... He's getting there, isn't he? So, yeah, definite signs of encouragement for Darren Moore. Todd Cantwell's winner for Norwich, Justin. My Lord, one of the best finishers I think I have ever seen. Again, if Messi did that, we'd be talking <laughs> about it for years. It'd be all over Twitter. It, it was a sensational bit of skill. It was. The whole the whole build-up of the goal, Oli, Oliver Skip's tackle, we were talking before we started recording, I loved Oliver Skip's tackle more than the finish because it was a full-blooded challenge, wins the ball back, he plays the ball into Cantwell and Cantwell does something ridiculous. Um, yeah, it was it was bloody, bloody gorgeous. Yeah, Timo Puki scored again as well, meaning he's now got 50 goals in two seasons in the second tier. Not bad for a free transfer, eh? A free transfer who was terrible at Celtic and was literally doubted um, when he came in. So, wow, yeah, yeah he's, he's mean, a good player. By me... I'll admit, I had my doubts about Timmy Puki because when he was at Celtic, as you say, he wasn't very good. And then I can't even remember where he was in between Celtic and Norwich, but he wasn't really pulling up many trees here. And then he's come to Norwich and we've got ourselves a striker who just loves playing in the championship and scoring goals. It's amazing. It's finished by name, finished by nature. Yeah, Sorry, I no, finished finish by nationality because it's not his name, is it? Duh. Uh, we, we get the point. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll let you off. We'll just pretend that didn't happen. <laughs> On Saturday lunchtime, Swansea beat Luton 1-0 thanks to an early goal from Conor Hurahan. Very windy at this game. The cameramen, they couldn't hold the cameras still at, at times during this game. That was quite interesting. What did you think of the game? Very windy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's a cliche now in football, but it was four seasons in one day and that generally was a point where I thought, can these can the cameramen like fall out of the gantry? Um, it was that windy. I've been to Kenilworth Road plenty of times as well, and the gantry that they're stood on, I would not fancy being up there <laughs> when uh, when it's as windy as it was. Um, Luton had some good chances, didn't they? But Swansea again, not at their best, but they keep managing to squeeze out results. And as long as that's happening, then I don't think Steve Cooper's going to mind too much, is he? Definitely not. And it, it's quite easy for me to reference Derby a lot but their 06-07 side they draw a lot of similarities where a lot of the games didn't necessarily play well they won a lot of games 1-0 2-0 kept a lot of clean sheets and obviously they got they got promoted Um, and they draw a lot of comparisons with them mainly because of that performance level not always being there but they're still grinding out results and that's quite important but for me I think just the the, not, not consistency but how performance have dropped off 
is the worry. And if Luton had a, a striker who was in form, Harry Cornick had so many opportunities to get Luton back into it. If they had a striker in form, I think it could have been a different game for them. Scott on Twitter called it called it an efficient performance for Swansea, which I think is a very good way of describing it, Scott. Finally, Wickham won Preston nil. Gareth Ainsworth side ending a run of four straight losses. The main headline for me, though, was how shocking Preston were. They were awful. Um, yeah, the amount of chances um, Wickham created. Mehmeti and Tafasoli both had more shots than Preston overall. And all of Tafasoli's were from corners, which at no point clearly did Preston click on that. They might be good from corners. It was it was not very good at all. And yeah, it just tells you how much of a transition Preston are in at the moment. Yeah, they barely, barely laid a glove on the side who are bottom of the league which is not ideal at all. PR for PNE on Twitter called it a sackable performance. And I've seen a lot of talk about that happening at Preston. A lot of pressure on Alex Neal. That pressure has been growing and growing. But after this performance, it's really heated up. What do you think? I disagree. I like Alex Neal. I I I like him and I don't like him at times, but I like him because because he's a, he's a manager, he's still young. He's still a young manager, and at no point has he really had much backing. I think this January actually is probably the the most um, the most backing he's had in any window that he's that he's been there at the club. I just think they just get to the end of the season. It's not going to be a pretty one, but they get to the end of the season, bring in a couple of players, uh, replace the ones that are going to be leaving, um, and then and then sort of go from there. I don't think he deserves to be sacked because I don't think there's anyone better at the moment. That can that can go in at Preston. Chris Wilder. <laughs> well, you, you say this January is the most backing he's had, but at the same time, they've also lost two key players in Ben Davis and Ben Pearson. So it evens itself out, really, doesn't it? Um, now it's time for this, Justin. Yes, it's time for the news and we start with some breaking news. As previously mentioned, at the time of recording, this hasn't been confirmed yet, but there are very strong reports that Ito Karanka has gone from Birmingham. If it's true, then it's not really a surprise, is it? No, they have been terrible. We we said it pretty much uh, earlier on in the episode. They Defensively for me, I know they've not conceded the most, but they've been defensively the worst team in the division because just... The comedy value their goals that they concede have, have given me is it's just poor. They don't score enough, they don't create enough chances. There's just so much wrong with this Birmingham City side. And unfortunately, you'd have probably sacked Cranker after that Derby game in, in December. That's when I would have done it. Give them enough time to get out of it. And they've left themselves short, I think. Yeah, and it sounds like they're pressing the panic button. Not sure who they're going to get in because if you were a championship side who are struggling near the bottom of the table one of the managers you'd look to get in would probably be Ito Karanka. So who they're going to get in to um, kind of stem away from the tide is going to be interesting. Ito Karanka, I think he has had a tough ride because I think this Birmingham squad is very poor. I struggle to think of many players in this team who would get into teams higher up the table. But at the same time, he has made some interesting selections some interesting substitutions and when I say interesting I mean interesting Um, (laughs) (laughs) and his tactics this season have been very very negative going forwards they have looked awful all season and then defensively they've made plenty of mistakes whether that's Karanka's fault I'm not sure but when you play as negative negatively as they do then I don't know. It, you'd expect it to be better, wouldn't you? You put pressure on a crap defence, they're going to do stupid things. And, and that's pretty much what's happened. Um, yeah. They don't play on the front foot. You're not going to get a front foot team under Karanka. And, uh, th- this is the issue. You bring in good defenders under him, I think you can get a good side. But unfortunately, I don't think they have. No, not at all. Has Derby's takeover been complete yet, Justin? No. But, but something's happening. Something is happening. The club chairman, Mel Morris, has set a deadline for the deal to be done with the Abu Dhabi businessman, Sheikh Khalid. If it doesn't get done, 
then Derby will move on to other interested parties. There are said to be two, one being an American group. The other is Spanish businessman Eric Alonso, who was an advisor at Sheffield Wednesday. As a Derby fan, Justin, your reaction to this news? I think, firstly, it's quite shocking we've got this far and the club are only just putting their foot down. It's like it's like you're leaving the handbrake off your car and it rolling down the hill and then you're only just going... And you only just start chasing it after it's collided into a lamppost. That's what it's like. Um, it's Again, the interesting part is Eric Alonso. There's a lot of question marks over him and who he's been involved with in the past. But unfortunately, you, these things are kept private. You have no idea what's going on behind the scenes or who they're backed by. So you possibly can't pass comment. But I think at this point, would it be foolish to say anything's better than Mel Morris at the moment? No. Uh, well, yes, it would actually. Um <laughs> As, as we well know. But I think the club just needs something in the long term because we can't even plan for next season, which is no. an issue. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, definitely. Coventry have confirmed they're moving back to the Rico Arena. We talked about that last week. A 10-year deal has been agreed. Uh, injury news. Blackburn midfielder Bradley Dack has suffered another ACL injury. Well, we think it's another ACL injury. It's not been confirmed officially by the club yet, but all evidence seems to point towards that. Terribly sad, as we mentioned earlier. Bournemouth midfielder Lewis Cook has been ruled out for the season after rupturing his ACL. Terrible news, Justin. Obviously, because not only is it a horrible injury for any player to have, but for Bournemouth, he's been probably their best player this season. I, I audibly glass, uh, gasped when I saw it. I was absolutely good because I know how good he is. He was, uh, I think it was the 2018 World Cup. He was called up to the provisional squad. It shows you how highly rated he was by Gareth Southgate at that point. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely disappointed because he's had one ACL injury already and he's, he's got another. It's very hard to it's very hard to get, um, get over them, simply yeah. put. Borough defender Anthony Dyke-Steele is also out for the season with an ankle injury. Another player who's been one of their team's best players this season. Yeah, Van Dijk still. That is disappointing. Uh, yeah, it, I mean, Borough have got depth in, in defence, so it's not necessarily the worst thing for them, but he's been a key part to them. Oh, he was a very big part in them earlier on in the season, keeping clean sheets. Yeah, and he. it's interesting because he's probably been one of the most improved players across the whole championship last season. He looked a bit out of his depth in the championship, but this season he's been... He Class, absolutely class. Transfer news, Justin. Sheffield Wednesday say they're investigating Liam Shaw's move to Celtic. The youngster has agreed a deal to move to Scotland when his contract ends. Now, I will be honest, I'm not too sure what Wednesday are investigating. They've released a statement in the week which said, we will consider if there are any further steps available to protect the club's interests. Maybe I've missed something here, but the statement wasn't very clear, so... Let's not dwell, dwell on this for too long because I'm not really sure what's being investigated. <laughs> Bournemouth and Watford have been fined 10 grand for the game last month where both teams just started scrapping and then Watford nearly did it again this weekend as well. I mean, they should have been fined because that was a terrible game. So I'd rather much see a fine for that than the actual scrap because it actually brightened up the game a little bit, made it a bit more exciting. Imagine if teams got fined for boring games. That'd be brilliant. It would. I'm actually, yeah, let's campaign for this because this will make the boring nil-nils on Sky on a Friday night exciting. Yeah, I'm all for that. According to the Daily Mail, Forrest and QPR have both cancelled their shirt sponsorship deals with the gambling app Football Index. Um, I say according to the Daily Mail, Forrest didn't have a sponsor this weekend. I can't remember if QPR did or not. So it's a big I, giveaway. So, yeah, I, I assume it has been cancelled. Um <laughs> There's been a lot of talk about them this week because a lot of people have lost a lot of money. A lot of people aren't very happy about it. We won't go into the details about that, Justin, because I'd rather not. Uh, And the 2021-2022 season of the Championship will start on August the 6th. Is that all right with you, Justin? Yeah, let's pencil that one in. Don't need need a holiday this summer. (laughs) No, I had one for two years. Good point. (laughs) Let's do some polls, Justin. This is the part of the show where we ask you three questions on Twitter, which we want to get your thoughts on. The first one is this: Will Birmingham City go down this season? Yes or no? I'm 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 on the fence. I'll lean towards yes because I think I like Rotherham. 
77% of people said yes. 23% said no. Who is the most mid-table team in the championship? Bristol City, Preston, QPR or Stoke? To be honest, I'm disappointed you can only have four options on <laughs> Twitter because I would have put in plenty of teams here. Who would you? Who, who do you reckon won? Well, Stoke is statistically the most mid-table team in the championship at the moment, but Bristol City have been there consistently. So I, I will say Bristol City. Preston got 46%. Uh, Q, QPR got 24%. Bristol City got 16%. Stoke got 14%. Um, and finally, what is the best Saturday night takeaway? Chinese, chippy, Indian or pizza? It depends on the mood. I devoured a curry last night, for example. Um, what curry was it? I had a <laughs> I had a veggie sarg. Obviously, I'm vegetarian, so no meat. <sighs> What's a sarg? <laughs> Sarg's like spinach and spices. Um, it is really t- it's re- it looks horrible because it's dark green, but it's it's super good. It's very that, does, nice. that does sound quite nice. In fairness, um, I had a sweaty pizza last night. It was delightful. I always go for pizza. Um, Indian got thirty six percent. Chinese got thirty four percent. Pizza got twenty one percent. Chippy got nine percent. Not much love for chippies. I suppose it's not it's really a, a Saturday night thing, is it? Really, it's a it's a lunchtime rush. I think. Or something you have when you really can't be bothered to cook something in the middle of the week. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson Edge. So this is Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show, Alex Everson from the Reading Podcast, Elm Park Royals, and Matt Shaw from the Huddersfield Podcast, and he takes that chance. So I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject. All they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say name the eight championship clubs who have been in League Two most recently, and Justin would say Luton, that's one down, and Matt would say Rotherham, that's another down. But if Alex would say Derby, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, gents, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. Eliminated. You've got a simple one this week. Well, I say simple. I think it's simple. I hope you've had a look at the top goal scorers in the championship recently. Can you name for me the eight championship strikers with the most goals so far this season? I just want to emphasise that strikers. So not Nick Powell or anyone like that. Players who have played the majority of their games this season as a striker. Simple as that. Um, we shall start off with Matt. You can go first. Can you name me a championship striker who's in the top eight goal scorers this season? I'm going to take the tap in and go for Ivan Tony. Absolutely right. He's, of course, top with 26 goals this season. That's more than Derby, Justin. No Good idea that, is it? <laughs> can you name me another high-scoring championship striker this season, Justin? I'll go with my best mate, Adam Armstrong. Yep, he's on 19 goals this season. Alex, it's your go. It would be remiss of me not to say Lukashow, really, wouldn't it? Yep, absolutely. He scored 18 goals this season. Matt, back to you. I think he's done us a favour today, so Timo Puki. Yep, he's on 21 goals now this season. He's the second top goal scorer. You're flying, boys. You've got four left. Justin, it's back to you. Oh, God. Um, this is... Tricky. I want to say Andre A. <laughs> it's not like you do a, a championship podcast every week, mate. <laughs> He's got 14 goals this season, Andre A. You're absolutely right. You've got three left. Uh, Alex, it's your go. Um, I'm going to go with someone who I hope doesn't score any more goals this season and say Kiefer Moore. Yep, he's on 16 goals this season. So you've got two left. Justin's starting to panic, so I wonder if the other <laughs> two are starting to panic as well. Matt, your go. I'm going to go for a striker who has had a bit of a rough time over the last few years and he's starting to find his feet and I'm a little bit of a fan of his and hopefully this isn't wrong, Dom Solanke. Yeah, Dom Solanke is in there. He's got 10 goals this season. Now you've got one left and I thought... This might be the one who comes last. Uh, Justin, it's you. This, yeah, this is difficult. I'm going to go Corley Woodrow. I'm going to jump straight in and go Corley Woodrow. How confident are you? I'm not very confident. Dom Solanke is very far down the list, I think. You didn't have to worry, Justin. Corley Woodrow has got 10 goals this season, oh, so you've God. absolutely cruised through Simon Grayson's hateful eight. I was wondering whether you'd... I thought you were either going to piss that or you might struggle and get stuck on a couple of them. But yeah, you're absolutely fine. Alex, how was that? 
Um, I'm quite glad that Justin managed to get the last one because I think we struggled. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, that's just about it from us on the second tier this week. Thank you for listening wherever you are in the world. We'll, of course, be back again on Thursday to go through all the midweek games in the Championship uh, just before the international break, of course. So thank you to our guests on the show this week. Matt Shaw from the Huddersfield Podcast. And he takes that chance. Thank you for your time. Pleasure, mate. Thank you. Alex Everson from the Reading Podcast. Elm Park Royals. Thank you for your time. Nice one, gents. Cheers. No problem. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening.